0: Welcome to another podcast at Sly's brought to you by our friends at the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, and also the Operating Engineers, Local 139. John Nichols, Associate Editor of the Capital Times and Correspondent for the Nation, joins us. John, let's start out with the issue with uh, the potential rail strike and sick days. This is not a good
1: moment. No, it is not. And look, here's the bottom line. Uh, if you're in any other Western democracy, uh, this would not even be an issue, right? Because uh, people have paid sick days. They also have, you know, just massive amounts of vacation and, and paid coverage. We are, we're an outlier in the world on this, and, and it causes us a lot of labor strikes. So that's the baseline, right? And that's actually something Bernie Sanders and even Joe Biden tried to address, you know, with Build Back Better and some of these other initiatives. There were efforts to start to develop paid sick days, which we were so delayed, didn't happen. So now we end up in this situation where um, the 12 rail unions, which represent you know, about 120,000, 125,000 workers, who really keep the, uh, the, the transportation lines and the supply lines uh, in the United States working on so many levels, they and the truckers, um, they had just been through hell. Uh, COVID was an incredibly demanding period, for them. A lot of them got sick. A lot of them went through a lot of, a lot of tough times. And yet the rail companies made massive profits in the, in the billions. Just they, they couldn't count all the money they were making through this recent period. They're actually just pouring it into stock buybacks and stuff. And the reason the rail companies make money, and I won't give a long explanation up front here, but just to put it in perspective, the reason the rail companies make so much money is because they don't hire enough rail workers. What they do is they take their existing workers and they give them uh, basically no control over their schedule and no paid sick leave, no sick leave. You know, they don't even have an unpaid sick leave. So as a result, they, they work uh, their workers at levels that are, are just surreal. Right, and, they've, they've, and made
0: about, they've cut about 20% of the workforce.
1: That's the thing. Yeah. They don't fill jobs because they just make workers, you know, say, Oh yeah, you may not be able to go home this weekend. We may need you. Right. And this on call situation. So it's really a messy situation. Okay. So when oh, you,
0: <laughs> when, when you yeah. peel back all the layers of the onion and I don't like onions, uh, no. when you peel yeah. them all, you peel all those layers back. Is this wall street? Uh, these are publicly traded companies with wall street and, and you know, oh, venture hedge fund, capitalists, yeah. hedge fund. Yeah.
1: Right. And, and That's Warren what, Buffett, who personally owns, you know, through Berkshire Hathaway, Hathaway basically owns uh, one of the major rail lines. You know,
0: if, if, if you're a student of history, especially Wisconsin, and I know that you're a, a fan of fighting Bob LaFollette. Didn't he fight the railroads?
1: That's <laughs> how he came to power. <laughs> it's literally how, he came, right? how the progressive movement <laughs> rose it was was in opposition to the abuses of the railroads, and the same with the farmer-labor movement in Minnesota and the nonpartisan league up in, in North Dakota. These movements were formed because they were being these farm states were being so exploited by the rail lines and the big Bang.
0: These are characters. And these are characters from a monopoly game.
1: Well, we call them robber barons. Right. <laughs> like that. So that, now get this perspective then. So the unions, very united, they went into these negotiations, and they said, "You yeah, know, we've been through hell." Uh, during COVID. They haven't had a very good deal often in the past, so we're going to make some real demand. The companies knew they were in a bad position, so they tried to buy folks off with a big pay raise. And the the pay raise in this proposed contract was pretty big. Um, After, you know, the Biden folks came in, they had, you know, all the the pressures to negotiate. Uh, But there was no movement, no real movement on quality of life. And so when they put this contract to the workers, the workers, and basically a majority or pretty close to a majority of those involved uh, said, no, this contract, I mean, we like the pay raise and that, but this contract is unacceptable because we're still being pulled away from our families. We're still being put in situations where we have to work when we're sick. Um, and, you know, there are cases of people who died because they just couldn't get off to go to a doctor. Well, let, let's and just so- take,
0: let's, let's give a real example. Okay. They're now recommending that anybody over 45 get a colonoscopy once a year. More and more people are getting colon cancer because of the environment and people's diets. And God knows in a state like Wisconsin, what people eat. So here's the thing you can't have a colonoscopy once a year without taking a day off because you need the whole day off. They put you out, you're under, you can't work, right?
1: Well, okay. And there's another thing you got to do a day before basically present
0: well that's you know, the evening that's the but reality. yes yeah. yeah but and we I, won't and we uh, won't and as we as won't as go, as as go as into
1: it, those details but can I just tell you that if you're doing that prepping, you pretty much it's a little hard to be you know working you know the rail line out you know across the country out there on some you know spur you know reinforcing the rail so, so line, how bad right? is this for safety I mean you it's get people terrible it's awful and and fine and, and, you're talking about you know, something like a medical procedure were very important and very vital. What about somebody who's just got, you know, some sort of diabetes, cancer?
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So, and the reality is, um, and, and for, and think of else, you know, a working mom, I've met working moms who work on the railroad. Um, you know, it, it is a working class job. It's like being a truck driver. It's like a lot of other jobs. In many cases, it requires a lot of technical skill. And, um, and these are important workers. They're vital to the supply chain of the United States. Many countries around the world, um, you know, it's, there's an understanding of that.
0: We will de- countries- and as a matter of fact, <laughs> we will dedicate this segment to former Madison City Council President and Mayoral Candidate Leo Cooper. Switchman Leo Cooper for the Milwaukee Railroad.
1: Road. That's right. And actually, frankly, much more humane days, you know, because uh, things have, the rail industry has become less humane. So, bottom line is, why, and it's just so people who understand this, because this is so poorly explained that an awful lot of people don't understand what all's going on here. Um, the bottom line is that unions rejected, there was potential potential a strike. Uh, if there's a strike, uh, well, only some unions had rejected, the other unions were going to go in solidarity. So it was a real rail strike that, that was threatened. And um, under the Railroad Labor Act of 1926, Congress can, they don't have to, but they can intervene. Biden chose to have Congress intervene, but he intervened like weeks out from uh, the, the end of the cooling off period, the deadline. And so what Biden and the Democrats did by intervening as early as they did in this case, not in a last minute emergency situation where they felt they had to avert a strike because you know it's the holiday season, whatever they were going to say, they did it weeks out. They took away the final bargaining stage for the union, right? The union in, these, in this period right now, you know, they still have, to, I think, December 9th. In this period right now, the unions could be at the table with the company saying, we're going to strike. We have to, unless you give us eight, sick leave and some flexibility in our scheduling. Instead, um, it went over into Congress, and it created a situation where effectively Congress is at the bargaining table, and Congress is at the bargaining table supporting an agreement which the rail companies want, but roughly a majority you know about half if not more, of the rail workers don't want and, and putting a thumb on the and sky. they won't
0: and they won't concede on this one uh, or they w- they weren't going to concede on this one because that means they'd have to hire more people.
1: That's right and and the companies know they make more money. they can give the pay right because then they can just raise you know some they raise some fees for folks who are shipping stuff. Um, but they, if they hire more workers, right, that creates, that really creates a whole new system. If you take away that, that, you know, the, the level of on call and the level of, you know, no paid sick leave, no sick leave period. Um, uh, it just, so they didn't want to do that. Um, this period right now is when everybody should be at the table and there should be negotiation just like in any classic labor situation. Well,
0: I would not have voted for this.
1: I would have voted. No. Yeah, I, Well, you would have been with, you know, basically 60,000 rail workers. Um, more than that. That's my that's there's, my plan.
2: You
1: know, yeah. Well, <laughs> there's 12 rail unions. Four of them open, out, outright rejected it. But of the other ones, it was, in some cases, very close vote. So, so you safe to say a majority of rail workers didn't want this. Well, contract. let me ask now, you a
0: the rhetorical no question. All right. If this these workers are so important that their very absence could cause the, the United States economy to crash, right, mm-hmm. then aren't they worth seven, six day, seven sick days a year at least?
1: Of course they are. <laughs> of course they are. And so here's the bottom line. If Congress was going to intervene, right, if Congress was going to intervene, which I don't think they should have. I think Congress should have let the negotiations keep going. If again you get to an emergency situation, you got to intervene at the end because you really feel it's going to collapse the economy. That's a different debate. Even there, I think there's there's reasons to be concerned about the intervention. But if Congress is going to intervene, it should have been an intervention on behalf of the workers, not on behalf of the man of the companies. And the fact is that Congress put its thumb on the scale for the company here, and uh, it's it's a mess of a situation. So that.
0: So let me ask you this. You talk to uh, Senator Sanders frequently. Why weren't the seven days sick pay in the rest of the bill? Why were those separate?
1: Well, because I'll tell you exactly why. Um, if, if it was Bernie Sanders and Jamal Bowman over in the house and Jamal Bowman was really way up front on this in the house, terrific, uh, progressive member from, uh, New York. Um, if they were writing the thing, they would have put it in, right. They would have, they would have, figured out a way to do it. What happened was over in the House, um, the House did two votes, right? They, they did the vote on, on the—they basically put it together in a way where um, the House said, yeah, we'd like to have the seven more days, but they made it possible for the Senate to delink when you got—to you know to separate them out. When you get over to the Senate, Sanders and those guys had a proposal for the seven days. They put it down. They got fifty. I think they got 53, 54 votes. They got some Republican votes on it, um, but they didn't get to the sixty, and so they were up against the filibuster too. Yeah, Ron Johnson things. didn't help. The real problem is in the House. The problem that should what came out of the House was written in a way that allowed uh, that that basically created this del- this delinking of the two, and you ended up in a situation where because you couldn't break the filibuster, um, then then. The senators were told, well, your only option is to impose this contract on the workers. Now, still, um, a number of of 15 folks voted no on the final deal. And that included, by the way, some Republicans. um, But there were five Democrats who voted no uh, because for the right reason, at least as best we can tell. And that's Bernie Sanders, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Jeff Merkley to Gillibrand, and Senator Hickenlooper from Colorado.
0: Now, uh, that's a little podcasts. surprising.
1: Well, I, I understand, and I don't—I haven't talked to Hickenlooper about this, but, you know, Colorado— there was,
0: a lot of, a lot of, there was a lot of suspicion about whether he was going to side with labor. You know, he, he's not exactly been the—
1: But a couple things on this one, Sly. Number one, if you want to send a signal, it's a pretty good way to do it. Yes. Number two, Colorado's got a lot of rail workers. Yes, they do. A lot of them. A lot of rail workers are out of Denver and other, other cities. Sure. So does Wyoming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so I think what you're ending up there uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting that for instance, uh, one of the senators from Alaska voted a Republican voted the right way on this. And I think probably voted the right way for the right reason. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's in some cases. Well, I understand how cynical,
0: I understand how cynical Josh Hawley is. And he of course just always takes terrible votes. You know, he said something that I agreed with. He goes, Why should we tell the employees they can't negotiate at this point of the ball game with the with the railroads? Why should we well, be telling
1: Marco, tell- Rubio. Marco <laughs> Rubio said the same thing. And look, I'm you, at I mean, these city, are awful people, but You're lying. assured that I'm not gonna come out and you know yeah. wave the Marco Rubio flag. But you know, the thing to understand here is that um that that basic premise is an important premise, and you have a Democratic president and a Democratic Congress that um, should have stood on that premise. You know that that you let the workers bargain at least slightly. And I'm even offering a moderate position here. This is I'm pro labor. I would have, you know I don't want to take away the right to bargain in any circumstance, but I'm offering a moderate position here. At least wait till till you're at the final moment.
0: Yeah. Well, don't s-
1: intervene. Uh, weeks
0: out. I know they want to, uh, come back and get the sick day thing for, for everyone, but something tells me that speaker Marjorie Taylor green, and she will be, the <laughs> she will not be the speaker in name, but she will be the speaker in yeah. principle, uh, that she's not going to go for that.
1: Well, of course not. And, and you know, in the fact of the matter, is, I noticed
0: you didn't argue with my, the premise of what I just said. Oh,
1: good heavens. Yeah. But but of course not. You know, look, and let's go a deeper reality and more painful reality. Is why it didn't happen under Speaker Pelosi and Majority Leader Schumer, right? We paid sickly. This paid sickly issue uh, is something it's been real for a very long time. Look, the fact of the matter is that when they did not, and I understand the complexities of it in the Senate, I understand the complexities with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, but when Democrats didn't away with the filibuster at the start of the current session, uh, they created a situation where they were not going to be able to deliver on incredibly popular, fundamental things. And you realize, by right, that if they had gotten rid of the filibuster and if Biden and others had, had exercised the authority that they needed to exercise, right, we would have paid sick leaves right now, basically right now, we'd also have home care for the elderly. Can you imagine how transformational that is in the lives of millions of
0: people? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the nursing home things lobby things is pretty up. strong. The nursing home lobby is pretty strong. All right, we'll take a yeah. quick break. John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation at Sly'sOffice.com. We're back at Sly'sOffice.com, brought to you by Madison Computer Works and also Jeff's Guitar Clinic. Uh, John, we have a special, well, we have a runoff election. They're not so special, but a runoff election going on in Georgia on Tuesday. Uh, let me play you up. This is the, one of the closing ads from Rafi, Senator Raphael Warnock.
3: I'll hmm. Take a look.
0: There you go.
2: You ever watch a stupid movie late at night, hoping it's going to get better, don't get better, but you keep watching it anyway? Because the other night, the other night I was watching this movie, I was watching this movie called Fright Night, Freak Night, or some type of night, but it was about vampires. I don't know if you know vampires and cool people.
1: What the hell is he talking about?
2: (laughs) Is he serious? Is he for real? But I'm going to tell you something that I found out. A werewolf can kill a vampire. Did you know what that? is he talking about? I never do that, so I do not want to be a vampire anymore. I want to be a werewolf. Oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> He's talking about vampires and werewolves right now. Yeah,
2: y'all serious about this, right? So I've been telling this little story about this bull out in the field. What? <laughs> and three of them are pregnant.
1: There's no substance. There's nothing. So
2: you know you got something going on. It makes me want to laugh, and then it makes me think we're in trouble. But all he cared about... He's kept his nose against the fence looking at three other cows that have been blown to him. Now, all he had to do is eat grass.
1: This video is ridiculous. I asked 35 seconds of my life, I'll never get back.
2: Why would I want someone like that leading the state of Georgia? Our good air decided to float over to China. Bad air. Unbelievable. So, when China gets our good air, their bad air gotta move.
0: It's all the same air. <laughs> you know. <laughs> amazing hat and you know you're not even catching the whole effect because you're just hearing the audio so you don't see their facial expressions uh former senator feingold had a you know a phrase that he would quote his debate coach from high school and she would say russell remember when debating to slip him the blade nicely was was warnock slipping walker the blade nicely there or was that I not so that nice?
1: Down. I think the hammer came down. That,
0: uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Warnock had been that, well. Warnock had been reticent to do that this whole yeah. race,
1: right? For a variety of reasons, it's a close race, yeah, it's a race. Um, But uh, I think that, that uh, you can you can choose the, to slip the blade nicely, or you can choose the hammer based on uh, what a good assessment of people's reaction will be. And when things have become this absurd. It's okay that that you go a little heavier because people are going to respond and say yeah you know that kind of makes sense you know the uh, incredible thing that stuck out for me from that ad is that, uh, that Herschel Walker running for the US Senate was talking about sitting around watching a movie right and the reason why that stands out is this is one of the most intense Senate races in history right you don't have a lot of time for sitting around watching movies except if you've been following the Georgia race Richard Walker apparently took off five days around Thanksgiving and Republicans down there are apoplectic. They're like, what was he doing? Why wasn't he campaigning?
0: Well, I mean, there's a flip side to that. If he's watching a movie, he's not sticking his foot in his mouth.
1: He's not out there. I realize, but there's a feeling that, that at this point where mobilization of the base is critical, right? You know, just getting, just being seen with people, being in the right place, especially in some of the outstate areas. Um, And so, the whole Walker campaign is one that that has, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's got a lot of Republicans very frustrated because the truth of the matter is that uh, while Raphael Warnock, to my mind, is one of the really most impressive members of the U.S. Senate, and he's it's incredible that he's there, um, is a tough state, right, a state that just reelected Republicans for most statewide offices, and had Republicans nominated a mainstream, you know, credible candidate, uh, they'd be very competitive here, and they didn't do that. And my sense is that Raphael Warnock is closing off with a message to Republicans. And the simple message is this. Um, either vote for Raphael Warnock, which is what you, you ought to do, um, or maybe just take a pass on this one. And it's notable sly that, I think it was yesterday, um, the— Lieutenant Governor Senate, Duncan? Republican, yeah. Yeah. He, he went, waited in a line to vote and then came out and said, yeah, I waited in line because I thought it was my duty. I went and voted, um, uh, but I didn't mark a ballot for either of them.
0: Yeah, well, but he's powerful. he's posturing for himself a little bit there, but yes, he uh, he did say that. Here is former President Obama, who was in Atlanta yesterday.
2: Since the last time I was here, <laughs> since the last time I was here, Mr. Walker has been talking about issues that are of great importance to the people of Georgia. Like whether it's better to be a vampire or a werewolf. This is a debate that I must confess I once had myself. (laughs) When I was seven. Then I grew up. In case you're wondering, by the way, Mr. Walker decided he wanted to be a werewolf, which is great. As far as I'm concerned, he can be anything he wants to be, except for a United States senator. Since the last time I since the last time I was here, apparently he also claimed that he used to. Let me beat him at basketball. But then he admitted that we've never actually met. So I guess this was more of an imaginary whooping that I laid on him. <laughs> He's having the time of his life.
0: And when you uh, t- turn someone into a punchline, you know things are intense.
1: good. Well, and I got to tell you something. Uh, this is what we learned. Not... Not on um, this current visit to Georgia, but during this election cycle, uh, no matter what you think about Barack Obama, I thought, you know, a, a pretty good president in a lot of ways. Uh, didn't do everything I wanted him to do, had some gripes along the way. But he has turned into uh, literally the finest uh, campaigner that the Democrats have. And the reason he is the finest campaigner that the Democrats have is uh, it's obviously his intellect and and his, you know, all the skills. But it is his incredible humor. People, I think, sort of people forget this. Some people do. That Barack Obama was arguably the funniest, one of the funniest presidents in American history. A comparable president uh, might have been Harry Truman. And the interesting thing was that if you look at the 1950s and early 1960s, Harry Truman was the Democrats' go-to guy for going out and rallying people in, in this same way. And um, and I, I expect, I, I think Democrats understand what an incredible, what an incredible... Uh, asset. yeah. Right. What he's doing for right. the
0: party. All right, one more clip here from Walker. Join me in voting for him, too. Walker surprised people in his own party when he wasn't seen on the campaign trail for several days around the Thanksgiving holiday. And he's been keeping even more distance from reporters.
2: I'm going to fight for Georgia because Georgia born, Georgia bred. When I die, I'll be Georgia dead. You know, that's probably
0: not the best way to put it because kind of he may be <laughs> Georgia because politically, I think he's going to be Georgia dead on Tuesday.
1: Well, the emphasis on the word dead after the vampire werewolf. Thing, <laughs> uh, but the the thing that strikes me about that is <laughs> you've seen this all the stories. Uh, he wasn't living in Georgia.
0: No, 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 no. He lives in Texas.
1: And yeah. bringing that up. I think just, <laughs> just an invitation to the Warnock campaign to go and say, and by the way, this guy doesn't live here uh, or hasn't lived here over the years.
0: All right. So the um, other, let's, uh, let's, uh, I hate to even mention Donald Trump, but uh, Ed Luce from the financial times, who's a really bright guy this morning, yep. came up with kind of an interesting analogy about Donald Trump.
3: When they govern and um Biden, you know, is proof that most voters don't really think about oratory and the power of imagery, <coughs> so cetera, is Trump. in the way we and do. And so is Trump. And so is Trump. In fact, in my own country, John Major, a really underestimated prime minister, not particularly articulate, no passages of oratory. Uh, again and again, we we assume that we, uh, what we value is what voters listen to. And Biden sounds authentic, you know, Fetterman. Yeah. Fetterman yes. came across as authentic and obviously not soaring oratory, but somebody people could identify with. And I think that causes us routinely to, to under, underestimate. As regards to Trump, um, you know, this is a horrible analogy, but you, you read about people with porn addiction and mm-hmm. it just gets harder and harder and harder to, to get the same kick as time goes on. Trump has got to be more and more shocking. That's so interesting. Um, you know, he can't replay 2016. Well, and now um, you have him kind of uh, doubling down or continuing with the crazy with this Kanye. Um- I think it's a great
0: analogy. Don't you? Uh,
1: it, yeah, it's when it causes the other people on the panel to have to wrestle with how to respond. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, That's it, also, so it
0: also keeps people's attention,
1: you know? It does. Look, um, you know. I don't know what the best analogy is for Donald Trump, but what I can tell you is this: um, Donald Trump is in an incredibly vulnerable place right now. Right after the twenty twenty two election, even though he had suffered severe setbacks uh, and then did his kind of bizarre announcement of candidacy and all that stuff, um, he was he still probably had control of enough of the base of the Republican Party to be the nominee. I think things that he's done just in the last week or so and and legal developments with regard to all this um including what happened with the 11th circuit just shutting down um you know this bizarre effort to set up a special master on the stolen papers from the white house um i think he's in a he's in a very vulnerable place and and i'm never one to count trump out i I still think that he is you know he's got a a mastery of the republican party for better or worse that that is not to be underestimated. So I think he's he's still in the game. But I think he's getting weaker. And I think that was summed up. We can circle around to the conversation we've been having, you know, uh, up to this point uh, with the Georgia race. Two former presidents of the United States have significant followings. One of them is Barack Obama. He went to Georgia and had, by any measure, a hugely successful visit that got you know, in state and national attention, and, and high marks from all around. Uh, the others, Donald Trump, the guy who recruited Herschel Walker into this race, and he's not going in. He's not. He's not going to Georgia. Well, let's Just, let, let that resonate for a moment.
0: So, uh, Kanye West went on Alex Jones' show yesterday. Saw that. What could go wrong? You're not a Nazi. You don't deserve to be called that and demonized.
1: Well, I, I, see, I, I see good things about Hitler also. This guy that invented highways, invented the very microphone that I use as a musician. You can't say out loud that this person ever did anything good. And I'm done with that. I'm done with the classifications. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the
0: table. And then there was this. But not today. My people are evil Nazis, so I mean, I, I, I
2: disagree with both statements, but
1: I get yeah, the I, I don't like the word "evil" next to Nazis. I think we need to look at. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my goodness! Just because you don't like one group doesn't
0: mean the other. look, I fine. love Jewish people, but I also love Nazis. Uh, I don't know if you, did you see the the footage of this? Yeah, I didn't. did. Did right. you say he had a a black hood over his face with a zipper yeah. across his? What What's going on here, John?
1: I, you know look, um, I, I think there's a few things going on here. Number one, I think we can pretty well accept that Kanye West has some problems um, and but he's been given platforms, uh, not just by Alex Jones, but by the former president of the United States, um, where he is expressing uh, his opinions, uh, and I think dangerously, normalizing anti-Semitism sympathy for Nazis, I mean, you know, this notion, uh, and and I think think we're now at a point where we have to point out he's wrong, by the way, about Hitler. Hitler didn't invent things, you know, I mean, that's just wrong uh, on, on, on the facts, and yet he is creating a new, you know, he's creating some narrative out there that will be rejected by the vast majority of people, right, but that some folks may buy into. And this is incredibly dangerous. Um, it, it, is, it is part of a much broader dangerous moment in our society. And, you know, all I can tell you is, is this notion, this idea that there's, there's so good in everybody. Well, there was a lot of good in the, in the millions of people that died because of, Hitler, of Adolf Hitler, right? Those were, those were people who loved their families, who worked hard, who accomplished things. They were murdered murdered by Nazis. And the notion that you would somehow you know, see some equivalence there or, or suggest it and be given a platform in which to do that uh, is to me it, it, it's one of the more horrifying. So thoughts.
0: Republicans elevating African Americans like Kanye West and Herschel Walker uh, is, is that so they can somehow say look we're not racist?
1: Maybe. I mean I suppose it's Look, I fully accept that people of every race and every background can have different political views. You can be on the right, you can be on the left, you can follow certain political leaders, you can reject certain political leaders. I, I think we always have to be careful about, you know, assuming somebody's going to go one way or go the other way. But at the heart of the matter, at the heart of it, is that um, I think what happened with Kanye West is, you know, with Trump, bringing them in there. And then with an awful lot of Republicans being very slow uh, to condemn or criticize, even, uh, you know, when you know that that West has been promoting anti-Semitism, like brutal.
0: Yeah. Well, Tucker Carlson edited out the bad stuff and then they fawned over him. And now of course they're in a real bind uh, one, one more clip here. This is uh, Nick Fuentes, who is the other dinner partner at the uh, Southern White House, as Donald Trump likes to call it. Uh, here he is, introducing uh, your favorite congresswoman. Dined with Kanye and Trump.
1: We are honored. We are humbled and excited to welcome to the stage right now for our first speech. And we love to get to know her much better. I think this is going to be the beginning of something great. The representative from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Green.
0: So that's a woman who's going to get some plum committee assignments and has got leverage over the next speaker, whether it be Kevin McCarthy or anyone else.
1: Well, yeah, in fact, McCarthy seems to be negotiating and bending on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, this is the, this is the conundrum. McCarthy has, uh, at this point, uh, such a small majority that he is not assured of the speakership. If a handful of extremists in his caucus don't vote for him, if they just stand down, uh, then Hakeem Jeffries can be elected Speaker of the House, right? Because it's going to be based on, on you know, what, who votes and how they vote. Um, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. But I will tell you right now that um, what we ought to be looking at is the handful of so-called moderate or responsible Republicans in that House caucus. And there are, there are still a few. In fact, there are even a few who voted uh, with the rail workers yesterday, uh, I think for good reason, and, uh, or last couple of days. And it, those handful of so-called moderate or responsible Republicans, uh, they have an opportunity here, too. They can prevent. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Kevin McCarthy from going, you know, just down this crazy track. Uh, and I think what's going to happen over the next few weeks as we look at that, that race, if you will, for the speakership, is that it's going to get, I think it could get quite interesting. I, I still would, I guess, probably bet a little bit that Kevin McCarthy ends up as the speaker, but he's in a terrible bind. And his response to that bind, instead of exercising leadership, has been to negotiate and bargain with Marjorie Taylor Greene on a regular basis. And I think it's creating a, a real mess.
0: Finally, as we go, this is a point of uh, prerogative for the host of this program today. As you know, I spent uh, a good part of the summer helping my friend Alexei Janoulius and his political comeback at elected Secretary of State. In Illinois, here is, uh, some, here's what he decided to do after his victory. This is from CBS2 in Chicago last night. How about this? A rare break from divisive, polarizing politics. Alexis Janulius and Dan Brady faced off in the race for Secretary of State. The Democrat Genulius won, and he just appointed Republican Brady to his transition team. CBS2's Brad Edwards talked with both about coming together for the sake of the people. What was the the impetus of of this in bringing uh, the person you defeated in the race onto your transition team? We need more uh, bipartisanship in this country. We we need more civility. People are sick and tired of the, the anger and the vitriol and the partisanship. They just want government that's going to fight to make their lives better. Representative Brady's had a distinguished uh, career in Springfield. He understands these issues. He spent over a year Uh, campaign for this office does his homework so to me it was a no-brainer. Mr. Brady were you surprised by Mr. Genulius's invite?
1: I was pleasantly uh, surprised. I thank the secretary-elect and I look forward to helping in any way that I can. People saying wow that's a a great idea that's that's novel. We went as Illinoisans we've got people who are going to try and find the common ground uh, we know we're We disagree on, but how about the common things that we can come together on? The things that we can help improve an office and efficiency.
0: And hopefully, someone's watching this saying, "There are two two good guys who are friends and are doing the right thing, and they're putting party behind them. And they just want to help." And it sounds fundamentally simple and a little idealistic, but to me, it's not that complicated. Thoughts? Your thoughts, John Nichols?
1: Look, I think it's going to go over really well. <laughs> you know, I mean. We know full well that people are kind of desperate to get beyond, um, you know, the the deep bitterness. Um, And I don't think that that means you have to abandon ideology. I think you can have ideological differences, uh, very, very deep ideological differences. But um, the cruelty and the anger of politics is something that that frustrates a lot of people. And I think what Janoulius has done here is something that um, has the potential potential, uh, to really resonate in Illinois. And 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 it is notable that his Republican rival um, responded well to it.
0: So well, he, of, of all the people on the Republican ticket, Dan Brady was the one who was not for breaking up the state and was right. not really a Trumper. He was a more normal person. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, and, and this is, and, and you know, I, if I can say one last thing on this, this is something Democrats need to recognize, um, that when they're in positions of power, they need to look for ways to... Uh, raise up amplify strengthen um uh, republicans who who are reasonable right who they can work with and um and i think what you're seeing here is the democrat who actually figured that out uh i will tell you that it's funny that just in the last few days i was doing something related to lee sherman Dreyfus, who was the former uh governor of wisconsin back in the 70s early 80s when lee sherman Dreyfus came to power um, he made a lot of appointments to cause people's jaws to drop. He appointed people who had been his rivals. He appointed people from across the political aisle. He even appointed a socialist. In fact, uh, William Osborne Hart, uh, one of the state's more prominent socialists, to a, a key board on which Hart, you know, where Hart had particular interests in some social welfare thing. And so, you know, historically, uh, smart leaders, effective leaders, have. Has said, look, I won the election. I've got power. Um, I'm going to put people who I can trust, who I can work with, in positions of power to work on things that are of interest to them. And um, and I can tell you that uh, I think that resonates very well with a lot of people.
0: We'll end on a high note today. John Nichols from the Capital Times and the Nation. Thanks for coming to Sly's Office. Take care, brother. Sly's office.com Thanks a million. Bye-bye.